Hey, PBE fans, this is Dan Oster here with a quick heads up about this upcoming episode. There was a little bit of a technical snafu. We like to record the Zoom calls as a backup, hoping to never need to use that audio. Well, in this case, we needed to use that audio. So it's a little bit like we're on a phone call, still very listenable. We also figured what would be more obnoxious than two men in their late 30s talking about The Simpsons than if it was just in a slightly lower audio quality. So we wanted to deliver that for you. Not a big deal. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Next week, we'll be back with our usual high quality audio. Of course, Satan willing. And I think that's it. So please enjoy this episode on Mr. Burns. There is a man. A certain man. A man man whose grace and handsome face are known across the land. You know his name. You know his name. It's Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. He loves a smoke, enjoys a (laughs) joke. Why, he's worth ten times what he earns. He's Mr. Burns. I'm Mr. Burns. He's Monty Burns. Mr. Burns. To friends he's known as Monty, but to you it's Mr. Burns. 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 Ahoy hoy, mortals, and welcome to a podcast but evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And this week we are talking about, and going to probably spend some time talking like, Charles Montgomery Burns from The Simpsons. Excellent. Uh, but, excellent. Uh, but before we uh, dive it's into... like a kind of a budget Vincent Price. <laughs> excellent. Uh, well, I, I, you know, we conceived this podcast as a chance for the two of us to just geek out. And, you know, I'm happy to be a pig in shit doing Simpsons voices this time. I, the audience be damned. Um, but uh, but uh, before we get into the, uh, the meat and potatoes of Mr. Burns, uh, just uh, a quick reminder up top that uh, we really appreciate if you like the show, please drop us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And also uh, feel free to tweet anything you like at us at Podcast But Evil on Twitter. So, Dan, I figured before we even get into the usual, you know, what do you know about Mr. Burns, uh, I'm curious as to your relationship with not just the character, but, gen- but the series in general. Right. Well, The Simpsons obviously holds a special place in the hearts of a lot of comedy writers and performers uh, around our age. If you grew up with The Simpsons, it really influenced you and what you think comedy is. I remember reading somewhere that Tina Fey, when she did 30 Rock, was like, we're basically doing like a live action Simpsons. And when you watch that show, you really see that. You see that in the pacing and sort of the way they kind of will break reality and be meta sometimes. And But you still have core characters. And I think that is one of the things that makes The Simpsons endure. It's not, Family Guy has its place, but one of the criticisms about a show like that is that it's willing to destroy its reality for a joke. And The Simpsons doesn't really do that. And if it does, it picks those shots very sparingly, at least during its heyday. So it had these really endearing characters. I mean, Marge is one of my favorite characters on the show, you know, even though I, as I grow up, I go from being Bart <laughs> to being Homer in life. <laughs> I identify more with him. Uh, they're all great, you know, all the core characters, Lisa, um, you know, they're, they're, they're all so enjoyable. And I think that aspect of the show is so strong and yet it's also just so sharp and it expected the audience to have 
a baseline to to anticipate jokes and then surprise you even though you're anticipating jokes. I think it was one of the first shows to really do that. To think that you were a little bit ahead of them and then they would surprise you at how far ahead they were of you. You know what I mean? Right. I, really, I agree. It really it expected the best of you as an audience member. And so you felt a little smarter when you got the jokes. And it rewards that too. You know, that it, it does, it, it's an interesting show in that I think it is very accessible, even if you're not appreciating it on that level. But if you are, it's giving you so much. And what's incredible about it is that all of its characters, um, even to some of the very like small characters or characters only appear in like one or a handful of episodes, they're able to really shift gears between using these characters as essentially like cogs in a comedy machine and then also giving them like a, a real like sense of pathos and humanity. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite episodes is Homer with his mom when he finds his mom. I think that's a really moving episode. A fairly... Fairly later, I mean, when I say late in the run of the series, it's still on the air 30 years later. So late in the run of the series to us is probably in the, like, the mid-teens of, you yes. know, seasons. We're, we're, I mean, actually, I really, I said I identify with Homer, but we're really both the comic book guy. <laughs> like, oh, I would like to believe otherwise, but you are wrong. <laughs> the only episodes that count are seasons three through ten or whatever. I, I'm such a comic book guy, I can tell you that comic book guy actually has a name. Oh, what's his name? His name is Jeff Albertson. Okay. You know, this is the thing. The show ran, is running. It's still running. And I don't want to be mean and say it's run too long, but like I stopped watching and it's always a little sad when this thing you love, like you just don't have time for anymore or it's kind of drifted away from you. I mean, they, they have a flat screen TV now and use smartphones. You know, if I check in on the show, I'm like, what's happening? That's not Springfield. <laughs> I want my rabbit ears. Yeah, I want those like squiggly rabbit ears, you know, but it did have this era that it could be a little bit that we grew up with it. So it kind of gets grandfathered in. But I also think it is a time when you had guys like Conan O'Brien writing for it. you had these like legendary people working on the show and it was young and it was scrappy and it wasn't an institution like it is now. And so it, it had kind of a hunger that it doesn't have anymore. And I feel like that you can kind of feel that it's just sort of going through the motions now a little bit. I, I, I hate to say that, but I think that is sort of the general perception. It's funny because I have that perception and yet, you know, it's hard for me to say that because I haven't actually watched it that much recently. True. So it's like, what the hell do I know? I haven't seen well, what do I do on this um, podcast but talk about things I have no idea about? <laughs> right. Um, and I will say that when I have dipped a toe back into it, it still manages to surprise me. You're like, you know, even on its even on its worst day, The Simpsons still has a lot of charm, and the character work on it is, especially the voice work from the core cast, is par excellence. It's yeah, you know man, really up there, and a ton of heart. So it's got mm -hmm. it's got all those things going on. You know, <laughs> incisive, and it's also a show that you can connect with on an emotional level. Yeah, it really hit me. I was uh, nine years old, I think, when The Simpsons debuted, uh, not counting the shorts on Tracy Ullman that it, they did in the 80s, right. uh, the early or the mid 80s. Um, I wasn't so aware of that, but I definitely jumped on board the series from episode one. And, you know, you and me are both alike. We've, we've bonded kind of over our love of doing voices and impressions and stuff. And obviously the show is a trove of voices to do, but at nine years old, one thing about people who say, hey, I like to do impressions. Doing impressions is actually three talents. One is, I mean, 90% of it is mimicry. 
And the other two pieces of it are a sense of humor and the timing and knowing of when to actually deploy that talent. <laughs> well, you learn the, the mimicry first. Mm-hmm. as I think most of us do like, hey, I can mimic this thing that I hear, but knowing what to say and when maybe comes later. So when I was nine, when I was nine, I had what I thought at least was a dead on Bart Simpson that of course left me after, you know, puberty, but I way overused it. I used it. I I gave it, I did a speech when I was running for a student president in like fifth grade as Bart. I remember actually doing the Bart man at uh, a summer camp twice. Well, you were told to do it. Do the no, Bartman. I was not. I was not told. <laughs> we were all called to do the Bartman. The only thing that told me to do the, the Bartman was poor impulses. Um, so, Bart, the uh, Bartman hugely definitely is also like pre-Golden Age, right? That's like uh, seven uh, yeah. or something? See, yeah, that's season one, I think. Like but season one and two. One. Okay, yeah. Season one and two are The Simpsons really finding its sea legs. Had, I remember, uh, sorry to interrupt your story, but I had a... Bart. No, that was it. It was just I embarrassed <laughs> myself doing the Bartman. I, um, I, yeah. I had to have a little surgery when I was a kid. And afterwards, my mom took me to a pharmacy to get a toy. And I got a Bartman toy. I remember that very clearly. So yeah. Bartman, <laughs> when you were a kid, you know, you're like, yeah, that's cool. And then as you get just a few years older, you realize like, man, let's not talk about Bartman so much. Yeah, you know, not so much, but also I began to obviously appreciate the show as the show grew up in advance into this like higher tier of comedy writing. It was perfect to hit me at age like, you know, 11 or 12 at the same time I was really discovering things like Monty Python and like realizing like, holy shit, look what comedy can be and can do. Yeah. Um, And yeah. When we were in elementary school, so you were getting like two episodes a day every day you know you could yeah like middle school yeah by that point i was like 6 30 and 7 30 they were running episodes on fox it was so comforting to me to just know that no matter what happened that day i'd have two simpsons episodes i could watch this is before dvr and stuff i mean you could tape it but like it was on the air every day you know twice a day right so now that we've kind of laid out our relationship to the show i think it's probably time to ask dan what do you know about mr burns without having studied for the test and without just simply quoting you know, hundreds of episodes of the show, which I'm sure we can both do by heart. Yes. All right. Yeah. The real reason we're here, Charles Montgomery Burns, this is a full name. He is the, he runs, he owns and runs. Like, and runs. The power plant. I guess he's like the CEO and, and, and the owner or whatever. I don't know if I've ever really gotten into like, do they have a board? <laughs> like, what's um, I think we've seen, yeah, there's, there's, shots of like him in, a, in board meetings and stuff but we don't see them much it's sort of interesting that he i don't i never was a kid i never thought about the structure of his life and what he was interested in. But he seemed to have a particular interest in the power plant and you never really saw i mean over time you did he had a casino and did all these other things but he's like his office is at the power plant right yeah it's in the, it's at the plant yeah so he's at the plant it's so funny it's like such a simplistic view of business in a way but anyway so he he owns and and, and runs the the springfield power plant where homer simpson works which of course is humorous because homer's incompetent he is you know his character started as a delivery system for two types of jokes which are rich person jokes and old person jokes as time you know they fleshed him out a little bit although i think he is one of the lesser fleshed out characters by virtue of the fact that he, you know, he doesn't have a ton of dimension. They've, they had an episode where he and Lisa like 
got together and they made the plant into like a recycling plant and stuff. Like they've done things that have kind of made him more human. But for the most part, he is kind of a joke delivery system. And he's just evil. He's just a bad person. So anytime they want to have somebody do something terrible, it's Mr. Burns who's going to do it. He's uh, the Cobra commander of the show, for sure. Right, right. And it's funny because it's taking this convention from like from ever ago, but definitely through like the TV that Conan O'Brien and, and, and company were growing up watching of like this like domineering boss and just shooting it into the stratosphere where he's just, he's so evil and so ridiculous, you know, release the hounds, you know, there's that bit of price again. But that is really what he did on the show. And that's really what I remember about him. He was the most, the most uh, evil boss you could have. Yeah, he really, I mean, The Simpsons uh, doesn't have too many, vil- at least recurring villains. Um, he's really the, the prime one. You know, you get like a Sideshow Bob episode once a season, maybe once every other season. And there's a few other characters who are like unseemly. I mean, but Bob has actually so much depth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all they ever do is like give him depth. Yeah. Burns does. I, and we'll get into kind of the, the uh, what fleshes that character out beyond, as just you said, rich person jokes and old Yeah, people there is one horrible thing he did early on in the arcade game. A diamond fell in Maggie's mouth and he stole Maggie. <laughs> that seems his arcade game is legit, by the way. It's a fantastic game. I, I just but emptied quarters into so that. It's rooted in like season one. It's true. It's kind of strange. It has a uh, life is life in hell references in the game, to, which was a, a Matt Groening comic strip. Uh, right. That before it predates the Simpsons. When I was a kid, I had the, the Matt Groening books. Life is hell. School is hell. They're pretty good. You know, it's it's interesting. He kind of, I think, got to start doing these like little weird strips, right? And like offbeat publications. Yeah, in fact, that's how he met Harry Shearer in a way. They bumped into each other at a newsstand. Harry Shearer, of course, is the longtime voice actor behind Mr. Burns. But Harry Shearer knew of Matt Groening's work from, I think, from some like uh, column he had written or something, uh, and as well as the, the comic strips. And then Matt Groening knew of uh, Harry Shearer from these weird radio bits he would do. And so when The Simpsons came along, he went to Shearer and said, you know, hey, you know, I'm a fan of your work. Come work for me on The Simpsons. And he had to, you know, beg him a few times to do it. And fortunately, he, he said yes. And, and the rest is history. This is on The Simpsons. Harry Shearer or Hank Azaria? Hmm? Who does more? Yeah, who does more? Because they both so are doing right. the heavy lifting, right, on that show? They are doing, yeah. I think the, the vast majority of the voices on The Simpsons are Dan Castellaneta, who voices Homer and many others, Crusty uh, mm-hmm. the Clown, um, Grandpa, Abe Simpson, uh, Hank Azaria, who's Chief Wiggum, Apu, or maybe not Apu anymore. We won't need to get into that. Um, but he's he's a bunch of voices as well. Mo Sislak, and Harry Shearer, who's Mr. Burns. He's Smithers. He's Kent Brockman. He's uh, Lenny. Harry Shearer is having a lot of scenes with himself. as Smithers. Yeah, and, and he says, and I've watched some interviews with him as prep for this, where like he will not record those separately. He'll just go into the booth and switch seamlessly back from right. and forth between Burns and Smithers because he's just talented and it's not a, a sweat for him. When you're that comfortable with those characters, it maybe feels a little more alive if you just do it that way. I, I would if I were him too, I think, in that position. I think that, you know, it would feel, like you said, it would feel more like you're performing a scene 
than doing a bunch of disconnected one, right. you know, single lines of dialogue. Yeah, or ha- having to read with somebody else who doesn't really have a handle on the character. Uh, it's funny, you know, bringing up Grandpa Simpson for a second because he's also an old person delivery system. As is everyone else at this at the retirement castle, right? It's him, it's Jasper. Like old you know. joke. It's because Mr. Burns, the jokes are like about somebody who's being like propped up with his immense like wealth. You know what I mean? Like he can never die because he's like so rich and, and, and is able to like have access to weird things like that. But whereas grandpa is like the other side of it, which is like alone, forgotten in the retirement home. Right. Right. Like he doesn't get his pills and his hormones are out of balance. And yeah, well they've, they've said, you know, yeah, it's sort of like he's he's a vector for different types of old person jokes than Mr. Burns is, right? Like Mr. Burns is never played as senile, usually. Once in a while they play with him like getting oh, you know, different like kinds leprosy. of mania. <laughs> hmm? You know what I mean? He has things like leprosy. <laughs> he is like Jesus that you're biblical and that old. Yeah. They like to play with his the, his sort of being extremely out of touch and like being a man out of time, right? He's right. Make he likes to make references and like he doesn't realize that celebrities he likes are long dead for you know like sixty years. I'm really um, enjoying the so-called iced cream. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. You know, twenty-three skidoo, twenty-four skidoo. Well. Before we even get into sort of that stuff, I thought it would be good. You know, I know you know this fun fact that he that Harry Shearer is not the first voice of Mr. Burns. Ah, uh, yes. So a previous podcast, but evil character was the original voice of Mr. Burns. I'm going to give you guys a couple of seconds to see if you can guess before we tell you. But originally, Mr. Burns was voiced by Chris Latta who is the voice of Cobra Commander. Yep, he, he did four episodes of The Simpsons, and I guess Matt Groening, the story goes that he just didn't like working with him for whatever reason. He thought he wasn't talented, but they just didn't get along in terms of their you know, workplace relationship. Chris Latta kept calling him a fool. He <laughs> would regret it. You know, and it's hard to <laughs> like that. Damn you, Smithers! No, I did go back. You know, it's, he, Mr. Burns is... I, I wanted to find the first appearance of him. And I don't think he's in the Tracy Ullman stuff, but he is in the very first episode of The Simpsons. There is a scene at the power plant and Mr. Yeah, Burns tells... black, isn't he? Hmm? No, no. no there's oh, a, Smithers is black? Oh, I, uh, I didn't notice. You go back and look, they colored Smithers a little differently and I believe he's black. And like, the, if it's not the first appearance, then it was like a coloring mishap and a subsequent appearance, which would be even stranger, I guess. But he, I believe Smithers was originally black. You I should been, mention... We should, uh, for our audience members who may or may not be Simpsons fans, we should mention who Smithers is because he's pretty integral to Mr. Burns. Waylon Smithers is Burns's sycophantic assistant. He's originally kind of played as just a, you know, a company yes man. And they really flesh him out as sort of being this weird kind of, you know, he's obsessed with Mr. Burns. He then, you realize he's gay for Mr. Burns. Right. Um, Such a classic like sitcom heightening of how far can you take this idea over this many episodes and pretty early on though i want to say it was implied that this love was of a romantic nature <laughs> i mean right and having a dream and mr burns like flies in through the window and is like lowering down on top of <laughs> happy birthday mr Smith. it's so absurd because it's like mr burns the least sexual person in springfield Yes, uh, the the hundred and four year old plutocrat um, who is uh, seemingly opposed to Smithers' worldview in almost every way. Like they they 
portray Smithers is like, on the one hand, he seems to be like kind of a, like a, a reasonable, like kind of sensitive guy, right. you know, who, a caring person, he but yet he's also hitched his wagon to Burns. You know? He's the conscience of that duo. To the extent that he can get through to Burns. Yeah. Although famously, we, we'll we talk about specific episodes later, but he, he breaks with him in the, uh, who shot Mr. Burns famous two part episode. Um, but that Smithers was black in his first appearance. With okay, there you go. I I didn't even pay attention to that because I was looking at the, the uh, Chris Lotta's Mr. Burns, which is not don't see color. I don't see color. It's not terribly different from what Harry Shearer does, in that I think Harry Shearer must have. I won't speak for him, but I imagine he's felt the need for some sense of continuity. Harry Shearer's voice for Mr. Burns is based on a combination, he says, of Ronald Reagan oh. and Lot. And Lionel Barrymore. Who's who, Lionel Barrymore? He's Drew Barrymore's grandfather? Great-grandfather? I mean, Drew Barrymore is at the end of a line of famous acting Barrymores. Uh, and I went and watched a clip of Lionel Barrymore from the 1930-something movie, You Can't Take It With You, just to get a sense of his voice. And, like, he doesn't sound like Mr. Burns. Ronald Reagan doesn't quite sound like Mr. Burns. But I can see how, mushing them together, you do kind of get that. Definitely. Well, there you go again. You know, it's like you can yeah. see it. You know? And Lionel Barrymore is the, like the thinner part of the voice up here. Ah. You know that. Yeah, so you do like kind of get that cadence in a way. You know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So and then the appearance of uh, so I should say Matt Groening, based I think quality of the character on a high school teacher that he had, which God help you if that's your high school teacher. And then the, his appearance was based on a, a Fox. Uh, executive named Barry Diller, at least his head, and then they said the body was based on a praying mantis. So, <laughs> and and that's what you get. He's got that like weird thing. His hands are often kind of like you know, like Nosferatu, <laughs> kind of just hanging right. there. Comedy writers in general love conventions. You know, they love to identify them and play with them. I remember Conan O'Brien talking about this thing that bosses would do on old TV shows, you know, like Bewitched or something. And they would do something. And you, whenever I see it, I always think of Conan O'Brien talking about this because why would you do this? They'll do a thing where they go like, really? That's what you think? Well, I agree, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why, would you, why would you do this thing, this whole misdirect? Mm-hmm. I don't think Mr. Burns ever does that, but it's a, I just, these, got, these writers love that old stuff. So when you tell me like Lionel Barrymore and stuff like that, you know, pulling from these really old I- characters and ideas, that is another thing that makes The Simpsons so great. Like so many enduring works, Star Wars is another great example of something that's just a hodgepodge of great stuff. You know, like samurai movies and Flash Gordon serials and all this stuff, all thrown into Hero's Journey, all thrown into one thing. Simpsons similarly has this great lineage that it's pulling from. And then... yeah making something new out of it. And they've, so Burns' name, Charles Montgomery Burns, the Charles was chosen because it's a direct reference to Citizen Kane, the main character being Charles Foster Kane. Which we definitely are going to kick this episode off, I think, with the Smithers song from the episode where he is basically doing the song from Citizen Kane, but for Mr. Burns. The Montgomery apparently was from, Matt Groening saw a uh, Montgomery Ward store and thought that was a good middle name. Uh, and he usually goes by Montgomery or Monty. He usually doesn't go by Charles. Monty Burns. Uh, Monty Burns. Um, and that episode, I think, was what Harry Shearer has said was his favorite to do. 
the uh, the episode where Burns runs for governor. Okay. And is uh, ultimately thwarted in that effort by the revelation of the three-eyed fish being oh, uh, really? produced by a power plant. Back. What season is that? I think it's season two. <laughs> Go with the unpopular pick there, Harry. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he's a- one we did 30 years ago. Oh, great. Thanks. Well, it is a good satirical piece. It's not one I, I did watch 14 episodes of The Sims. I went and I picked, like, what are some, like, key. Mr. Burns episodes, and I don't think we need to go through all 14 of them, but I tried to find ones that were, you know, Burns-centric, which, by the way, if you're a Simpsons watcher and you've watched a lot of it, it's a weird rabbit hole if you go to pick your, like, a particular Simpsons character and then just watch a bunch of episodes centered on that side character in a row, because it, it makes your brain kind of go, like, it feels weird to watch the show and go, like, oh, no, this is as if Mr. Burns was the main character instead of, like, Homer. Um, <laughs> right. it's, it's a weird feeling. So um, uh, to give people a sense of structure to this episode, we're now moving into the space where we're going to talk about notable appearances here of Mr. Burns on the show. Yeah. And again, there's hundreds of them. So we want I, I wanted to try and distill it down to some particular ones that maybe one were either kind of like re- very well-known episodes or were kind of instrumental in establishing this character. Because Harry Shearer said about him in, in this interview I watched that, you know, he liked doing Mr. Burns because he's pure evil. And I think he's almost right. You know, I think he is pure evil, but even in that way that The Simpsons is special enough that they can still manufacture pathos out of Mr. Burns, which is kind of incredible because oh, he is... If you have an you know. instance of that, I'd love to hear it. So I'll give you... Uh, Before we get into these specific episodes, you know, another thing I want to say about The Simpsons, they've really perfected this ability to tell what feels like a big story in 22 minutes. You know, they have oh, really yeah. watch the show. There will be something in the beginning, but that's not what the episode is about. The episode is always about something that happens as a result of the first thing that happens in the episode. And they do that so much. I mean, I, I remember I recently, the one I watched most recently was the, uh, the one where Homer goes to the candy convention, right? Mm-hmm. So oh, like, all this time given to him going to the candy convention and dragging Marge along in a trench coat so that she could like take all the free samples home in the trench coat. And it's such a ridiculous sequence because it like literally ends with him using like pop rocks and cola to like blow up the convention. <laughs> right. like, See you in hell, candy boys. <laughs> but the episode's not about that. It's like then later on, uh, the babysitter they hired accuses Homer of sexual harassment, and that's what that episode is about. But we have so much that happens before that. Uh, Yeah, they can cram an enormous amount of story into 22 minutes. And I should note, the reason she accused him of sexual harassment is because the gummy Venus de Milo was stuck to her pants, and he reached her sweet can. (laughs) As she was getting out of the car. Yeah. Uh, It does have, I mean, look this up on YouTube. I know we got to get back to Mr. Burns, but the... The edited interview, he gives the interview to, it's not hard copy, it's like some knockoff of hard copy, which was a tabloid show of the time. He gives an interview to clear his name, and then they watch the episode, and the editing they do to make him look like he's confessing is one of the funniest things. You can watch the hands on the clock behind him, like, rapidly changing around, yeah. Analog clock behind him. I think there might even be a glass of water or something. It's like changing levels. I mean, it's it's really really funny. It's still. I mean, those jokes still work today. I maintain that. Yeah. All right. So, Mr. Burns, key Mr. Burns episode. So, the first one I want to talk about is a pretty famous one called Rosebud, and this is season five, episode four, and it is a uh, again another direct, yeah, very direct Citizen Kane reference. 
where we learn that Burns, as a child, had a teddy bear named Bobo that his rich grandfather or uncle drives up and you know his father says do you want to go live with him and like you know like that he's gone he's he's out the door with them and he you know, as a 104 year old man he you know longs for that bear and the episode is about him trying to find it the bear through a series of coincidences winds up in the hands of maggie simpson and burns cannot bring himself to when he finally finds it he tries everything he can to pressure the simpsons into giving up the bear by making things miserable at work by uh, i think he shuts off the supply of beer to springfield to like to force him to want to give it up and then there's like a mob that comes to take the bear and even they the, the mob can't do it because they see maggie with the bear and they can't tear it out of her hands and then burns has this moment with her in a sandbox in the simpsons's backyard where he kind of comes to realize like no the bear is yours i you know i can't take it from you Stick the pacifier in his mouth yeah and then he gets taken to pick a picture he gets taken by the pup robber <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> i remember that this is what'll happen you'll be telling me the episode and then uh, an image will shoot into my head it was fun to go back and watch these and realize like, oh man, you know, there's so many quotable things in all of these episodes, just super memorable things, not just like the main plot, but like sight gags and just like, it's full of it. But anyway, this episode does a lot, I think, to kind of show you like, well, I can still feel for this guy. It's kind of the same way you feel for Citizen Kane in that like, he might be a bad person, but he didn't necessarily start out that way or there is something to this. I can still empathize with a guy who lost something that means something to him, even if he is now a monster. His mother is still alive. Yes, she is still alive. <laughs> she's also, it's implied that she's really terrible. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, she must be a million years old or whatever. I, can't <laughs> I think they said something. She's only capable of like picking up a phone and yelling. Right. That's the only thing she can do. Uh, we can talk. I'm deep in a 30 Rock binge right mm-hmm. now in quarantine, and you can see that they're using stuff. I mean, uh, Donaghy is not Mr. Burns. He's a very different, suave take on the, you know. On the CEO. Ultra-rich CEO, but they have great rich jokes, great, very current rich jokes, you know, from him. But he's got a domineering mother, for sure. Yeah. yeah. The, well, they talk a bit about Burns. You can, we can go into Burns' family. He is the second youngest of 12 children, as established by that episode. His younger brother, one younger sibling is George Burns. They just dropped that in there. Okay. Uh, the the actor. Um, oh, it's he, the actual George Burns. The actual George Burns That's is canon. his brother. Okay. All right. That's canon somehow. Uh, Mr. Burns in uh, the episode Burns Baby Burns, season eight, episode four, we find out has an illegitimate son named Larry, played by That's Rodney Dangerfield. Dangerfield. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, who has his own family. A googly-eyed walnut. Right. Or a googly-eyed rock. Oh, if you don't like that, I got some crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite line from that was uh, he's, Burns is asking him what he's done with his life, and he says, well, I grew up and I got the job, and uh, oh, and once I saw a blimp. Yeah, once <laughs> I saw a blimp, I remember that for sure. Yeah, and then Larry at one point mentions he has a family of his own somewhere. So there is like a line of Burns family members and relations, but we don't get a lot of his Could family. one of the last things Rodney Dangerfield did, right? Could have been, yeah, at that point. He's an eight, so that's going to put it in the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, like 97, I guess, something like that. That was a great episode. It is. So I think that humanizes him a bit. You mentioned another one, which is uh, The Old Man and the Lisa. Season 8, episode 21. This is one where Burns finds out he is actually broke. And he has to remake his fortune. 
he does it by working with Lisa to create a recycling plant, which turns out, of course, to be monstrous in the end because he is recycling sea life by grinding it into a slurry, uh, which he considers to be recycling. So it, it, it ends up being horrible in the end. Right. Um, but there is something... You, you think she's getting through to him and then you find out, oh, this is what we're doing? Yeah, but she did get through to him on some of the stuff. But like it, seeing him brought low in that episode, there, you know, he ends up, he's staying with Smithers and he go, decides to just go to a grocery store and he's so out of touch that like he can't figure out what to do at the store. He's, you know, he finds himself confused. I remember he's sitting there with a bottle of ketchup, ketchup, ketchup ketchup and he doesn't know which one to buy he goes to buy cereal and when he goes to buy cereal he sees Krusty the clown standing in front of Krusty O's cereal so he starts looking like well where's cereal that looks like me because that must be what I'm supposed to buy <laughs> and he picks up a, a box of Cap- you have Count Chocula yeah he says where are the Burnzos and then he buys a, a box of Count Chocula <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, he then uh, is like taken by the store management and they've committed to the Springfield retirement home where grandpa lives. Cause I guess grocery store workers have that authority. You know, so the thing about the Simpsons, they can definitely take narrative shortcuts cause it's a cartoon. Yeah. And it's funny, but there's still some like pathos like, Oh, you know, they've done that a few times where uh, he, you know, he loses uh, his wealth or he loses something and they're still able to ring a little bit of like, Oh, you know, I, there's, you can still make it effective as a story, even though we know that he's going to get right back into the saddle doing evil stuff very soon. Now, one of my favorite, I'm sure it's on your list, episodes where he's brought low is when he buys the casino or he builds the casino. <laughs> oh, yes. That is uh, Spring... <laughs> that I love this one. This is one of my favorites. Springfield spelled with a dollar sign. I think of that episode so much. There's so much that happens in that episode. First of all, this is when he goes on his full Howard Hughes decline because he's yes. now even richer than he's ever been and he becomes obsessed with germs. And so he's in like a hermetically sealed room with the Kleenex Which, box. by the way, I, going back and watching that episode again, the room that he's staying in, and I don't know why I didn't notice this as a kid, but it looks exactly like the weird room at the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, wow. It's this very like surreal room, yeah. Well, they do references on that show. This is actually one of the great things about watching it now. I should go back and start watching them because you're going to get references that you didn't get as a kid. To divert really quickly on that one, I watched the episode Mr. Plow. Uh, mm-hmm. A classic. Yeah, where Homer becomes like a, a, a snowplow driver. A snowplow driver. He gets a truck with the plow and everything. And then he becomes, he gets in competition with Barney, who gets an even, the plow king! <laughs> he gets an even bigger one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there is a reference in that episode that I just thought was like, oh, cool, it's cinematic and the music swells or whatever. He's on this uh, rope bridge and it's swinging back and forth and he's on the truck and the music gets really synthy. And it's like, what's, what is this? And it is a reference to a movie called Sorcerer with Roy Scheider about guys that are like bootlegging nitroglycerin through like the jungles of the Amazon. And it was like from the early eighties, it's by William Friedkin. And here's what thing is they had found out through the grapevine that Friedkin was like a big fan of the show. And they're like, why don't we do a joke that's for one person? (laughs) (laughs) Just for William Friedkin. So I, when I watched it, I, I had seen the movie since I saw it as a kid and now I'm like, Oh my God, I think that's a reference to sorcerer. It's a tense scene. They're on a bridge and they got nitroglycerin in the truck. And is it going to explode? It's like that kind of thing. Hmm. And uh, anyway, I just think that uh, I don't even know where I'm going now other than that was the cool thing. But yeah, Mr. Burns. As Howard Hughes. As Howard Hughes is so funny. He's got the... Kleenex boxes on my feet. (laughs) He's got the spruce moose, right? Or he's like... That's one of my favorite all-time 
Simpsons bits. This plane that's, you know, supposed to, you know, what is it? What is the actual description? If I may, uh, the Smithers, I've designed a new plane. I call it the Spruce Moose, and it will carry 200 passengers from New York Sidewell Airport to the Belgian Congo in 17 minutes. That's sir. a nice model, sir. Model? <laughs> yeah, and then later he commands him to get into the plane. Yes. Now yes. to the plane, we'll take the Spruce Moose. Hop in. Sir, I said hop in. You got a gun. Um, I mean, yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah. You All time it. favorite. You didn't need me here, Doug. <laughs> I, I know. I that that particular I say moment popular when you were nine. <laughs> that moment that moment to me was like one of my all-time favorite Simpsons things because it's I so weird. Get eaten. <laughs> it's so weird. And you can only get away with it in the cartoon. And what I love is they cut away from it. So you never know. Oh, like, yeah. How does that resolve? It's such a strategically timed edit because they go, oh, we don't yeah. have to answer this. We can just let this be hilarious and move on. But that episode, again, it is so dense. The Mr. Burns stuff is so funny. Marge becoming a gambling addict, which is what happens in it, is great. And the thing I think about so much in that episode is Homer. Homer's trying, he's left home with the kids. And I think it's, you know, Lisa comes in and she was, she's worried that she heard like a noise or something. And she's like, it's like her really as a kid, you know, which you don't always get to see with her. And she's just like, I, I, you know, I'm worried it might be the boogeyman or something. And then Homer bolts up in bed. He's like, you know, Bart, I don't want to alarm you, but there may be a boogeyman or boogeyman <laughs> in the house. And they are all, they're all freaking out. And then, you know, Marsh comes home and there's a hole in the door and he's behind the mattress with a shotgun. Right. <laughs> you know, this wouldn't have happened if you had been here to keep me from acting so stupid. But the <laughs> boogeyman, see, this is me identifying with Homer because I am that guy now where, like, I'll be trying to, like, reassure Jen about something. <laughs> yeah. I'll get more scared. So they do a lot with him as with money. He is based on, among other people, other tycoons like uh, you know, J.D. Rockefeller and stuff like that. They're definitely, they want to evoke that robber baron persona of the late 1800s. And to the point where, like, getting into some of the, like, Burns is out of touch stuff in the old man and the Lisa episode that we talked about when he finds out he's broke the way he finds out is he realizes he's surrounded by yes men that have not been telling him the real financial condition of him and his company and he says well I you know I want to look at this show me the stock ticker or get my stock portfolio he says, how are my stocks doing let's see confederated slave holdings is one of his stocks you know they're like oh it's great doing great I mean, how yeah, steady. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, like they do. Yeah. How old is he really? A little bit. You can't be 104 and have slave holdings. But yeah. Right. And then he says, well, I want to check the stock ticker. Let me see. I haven't checked this since 1920, September 1929. He like asks about getting players like Honus Wagner, you know, who I'm sure was dead in like 1925 yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one thing they do. Here's one I thought would be worth talking about A Star is Burns. So this is an episode that actually doesn't focus on him a ton, but this is the famous uh, Springfield Film Festival episode, which is him trying to show, like, uh, it's interesting to watch him try, try and fail to use his money to his own end. So in this episode, Springfield's economy is not so hot, and they decide that what they're going to do is host a film festival, and Burns says, I want to submit a film to the festival to compete, which, of course, is a vanity piece about how awesome he is, uh, called the Burns for All Seasons and he, by the Latin American Steven Spielberg counterpart. Give me his non-union Mexican equivalent. <laughs> Senor Spielberg. Spielberg. And of course, he's, and he stars as himself. And it has all these ridiculous sequences where like he's Jesus and Ben-Hur. And then he's like 
E.T. and, and E.T. And the film is garbage. And I he, you know, they're watching it and he's on a horse. It's like, a, maybe it's like a Ben-Hur thing or something mm-hmm. or Spartacus thing, I forget. But like, or it's, uh, I think it's Lawrence of Arabia or something. Yeah. yeah, he falls off or like drags him around or whatever. Oh, that one, yeah. What was it, 17 takes? We did 20 takes and that was the best one. Yeah. One. But at the end of that, he is booed. You know, the audience doesn't go for it. And, you know, of course, the famous line, are you saying boo or booers? I <laughs> you know, they just boo. Booers. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting episode because, you know, he tries to bribe the judges um, and it doesn't ultimately work. The best artistic film, which is Barney's, wins. Oh, it does win? It doesn't lose to football and groin? No, I don't believe it loses to football uh, and groin. Okay. No, football and groin, they, they make like a, a, a Hollywood version of football and groin. George C. So Scott. That wins the Oscar. But again, over a Burns for all seasons, right? Burns is not able to buy his way through. Like it shows there's limits to his power. Are you glossing over, isn't this the, one of the biggest parts of this episode is that this is the crossover with the critic? It is the crossover with the critic. Yeah, I didn't I, mention it. <laughs> the cartoon version of you. I know. For, the, for, uh, for hey. those who are, realize it's an audio medium, uh, yeah, my, uh, you might see me commenting on the podcast. My, my Twitter handle is humanjsherman. Yeah, before uh, I was callous, horrible friend, Doug has the handle Human J. Sherman. So. <laughs> uh, with a picture of my face on that character. Because I do look like John Lovitz. I'm not, I, I can't hide. Um, uh, you're handsomer, John Lovitz. Uh, I, am, ever, I am younger and slightly thinner than John Lovitz. Have you ever gotten him to uh, respond to any of this? I did. I, I, I tweeted something and he liked it. And I think it was, uh, though there were two things actually that he responded to. One was like, Remember that thing was going around where it was like you could put into Google and you'd get like a, a fame, you put a picture of yourself and it would show a famous painting that looked like you. Yeah. And so I did a mock up and it would show like what percentage of match you were. So I did a mock up of like a, a picture of Jay Sherman from the critic and then my face. And then I put like 134% match. <laughs> I, I tweeted that at John Lovitz and he liked it but with something about like, let's do a live action remake or something of the critic. By the way, I'm going to say it now. When, when, we do the Crypt Keeper on this show. I will mention that one of the best episodes of Tales from the Crypt was John Lovett's episode. It was a rare opportunity for him to play drama. And hmm. it was one of the best episodes of Tales from the Crypt. He was great in it. So, so yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jay Sherman does drop by Springfield in this uh, episode. And The Critic is a really funny show. And, it, it, uh, and I highly recommend it. But I don't know if there's any villains on it worth spending time on. But it, it's a great show. <laughs> no, um, it's kind of funny. We, uh, we can talk about these two episodes kind of in tandem briefly in that one of the fun things about using Burns as a parody machine or a comedy, you know, instrument is he's actually been two of the villains we've already done on this podcast. Can you guess which two? At least two. You, when you say he's been, what do you mean by that? Oh, you mean in like, I got, okay. I know what you mean. I think you know what I mean now. Yeah. Three house of horror stuff. That's what you're talking about. That's one of them. Yeah. He was Dracula essentially in one of the tree houses of horror, you know, the Gary old, no, he is Dracula. I mean, this cast him as Dracula. Yeah. 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 He, you know, he's got the bun hair and all that stuff from the Coppola version of Dracula. Yeah. Right. 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 He's been Dracula. I don't have the list in front of me, Doug, of who we've done. I I, I mean, (laughs) not been, it's not Cthulhu. (laughs) He's not, he's not, not, there's no, uh, burns. Although there is a famous episode we could talk about called mountain of madness. Which is a love. The title is a Lovecraft reference, but the the, the episode is not. Yeah, what's the other um, one? The other one is Corella Deville. Oh well, we that's, I'm an idiot because we actually ended that episode with "See my vest, see my vest." So uh, you know, yeah, of course, 
But yes, he at one point he kidnaps the the Simpsons Greyhound Santa's little helper uh, has twenty five puppies, which are then uh, snatched by Mister Burns to be made into a coat. Although it ends, it, Lisa is I think Lisa and Bart are able to convince him to not kill the puppies. And instead, he turns them all into racing greyhounds and makes millions from them. Thus, of course, breaking poor Homer's heart that he could have been rich. There's a couple that end that way. I got a question for you. Because I don't, you know, I've seen a bunch of these episodes, obviously, but I don't recall him ever having a love interest. But obviously, that must have happened at some point. Do you? Oh, he romanced Marge's mom, as I recall. Oh, really? In that episode? Yeah. I believe there was an episode where both Abe Simpson. She was a famous actress. Who, who oh, Marge's her. mother? Yeah, I it's not just that. Julie Kavner again? No. I think Marge's mother is Julie Kavner. Oh, oh um, hmm? it might be Glenn Close. Glenn Close is Mona Simpson, Homer's mother. Oh, I'm sorry. He romanced whose mother? Marge's mother? Marge's mother, Mrs. Bouvier. Mrs. Uh, Bouvier! It ends with a graduate parody. That happened. What season was that? Do you know? Oh, I don't remember. I didn't pull that one as one that I looked at. But yes, All right, he, Jack he does. Bouvier. All right. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. By the way, people also ask, why is Marge's voice so raspy? Because Julie Kavner's voice is raspy. I guess after 30 seasons, they probably did that episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the, my, when she was my, young. My favorite Marge quote is, I know you're joking, but it is! <laughs> <laughs> Which is yep. Boy, I must be excited to make a new set of bed sheets every day. <laughs> yeah, I love Marge. Um, She's fantastic. Marge is a wonderful character uh, on so many levels. But yeah, uh, Burns and uh, Abe Simpson are both competing for uh, the love of uh, Jacqueline Bouvier. Okay, okay. So they they did it. I was just sort of curious. And he's had. I think he's been married three times, according to the show's lore. All right. Um, yeah. So the lore is like my least favorite part of the show at a certain point, because it just becomes all lore now, you know, like, Oh, the, you know, what's the backstory of the bee guy and you know, where did he come from? And okay. Yeah. I think well, when they do portray a younger Burns, you know, when we see him like back in his day, I think they try to establish him as a little more of a, an adventurer and a man's man. And like, you know, he was at one point kind of virile and you know, he did, he had that Vodio dough at one point. Did Voodoo do? Are Mr. Burns? I am. Uh, <laughs> we should probably pull out of this play by play pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. We can't just do every episode this happened, uh, one by one. Just happened. I though, I though, if I may, there is one more I'd like to mention. Uh, the Hellfish. Sorry. The fighting Hellfish. <laughs> oh, oh God, that's the Tontine. The Tontine episode. That is a fun one. We can skip. You can talk about whatever one you want, but I. No, we can skip that one. The one which really probably was just written to be well, I shouldn't dismiss it entirely but it was this crossover where you had the X-Files on the Simpsons but that's a fantastic episode you, know, you get Leonard Nimoy on it who's great and uh, this is the one where you know there's an alien stalking the woods of Springfield and they're trying to figure out what is it and so of course Mulder and Scully come in to investigate I remember they asked Homer if he had anything to drink and he's like no well 10 beers <laughs> <laughs> But we should mention that. So the Burns portion of this is at the end of the episode. Of course, it's revealed that the alien is Mr. Burns, uh, who undergoes a series of medical treatments to cheat death every week that leaves him dazed and confused and wandering in the woods as he right. leaves the doctor's office. Like barium shots or something. It's like <laughs> right. weird. So he's glowing. Well, no, the glow, he says the glow is the end result of him. A lifetime spent in a nuclear power plant That's has right. left me with a healthy green glow. That's right. Um, That's 
right. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, there is, but, yeah. There is one more, uh, I think, episode I think we do need to touch on. Uh, we've mentioned it once, but I think we need to talk about who shot Mr. Burns. I'm glad you bring that up because that's the other episode that has sort of a mystery element to it. Mm-hmm. Deliberately so, yeah. So this was a two-part season cliffhanger. Season 6, episode 25, and then followed by season 7, episode 1, where Burns is at his most... I think his most villainous, his most like Cobra Commander-esque scheming, where he pisses off everyone in the town and ends up shot at the end of the episode. What did and he then do? they let it go. What did he do? So he, for, the first thing he does is they discover oil beneath Springfield Elementary. And of course, Springfield Elementary is excited because this is going to be a lot of money and funding for the school. This is a perfect example of a Simpsons story structure, right? You get this oil discovery, which takes up like the first act of the episode. And then you go off into this whole other thing. Right. And then Burns steals the oil by uh, starting the slant drilling company where they make these oil rigs on like this crazy angle and they just suck out the oil from under and this school. Before there will be blood, but it's the same concept. Yeah. He drinks their milkshake. Yeah. I drink uh, milkshake. In the vein of the Simpsons predicted it as they predict so many things. President Trump. President Trump was, yeah. Your reference, but they predicted that. And it was a gag in an episode that took place in the future. Hardy har har. Yep. But the good news was, was that we got Lisa as president immediately after. And who wouldn't want President Lisa? So, Apparently uh, the 33% of the country. Fuck us. <laughs> so uh, uh, Burns obviously pisses off a lot of people by doing that. He pisses off Homer because he can never remember Homer's name. Despite uh, this is a running gag actually in the show where uh, he sees Homer on like security no, cameras. He goes for the first time. Right. Who's that? Homer yeah. Simpson. At one point Smithers even says like, Oh, that's Homer Simpson. All the major events of your life have revolved around him in some way. So he can't remember Homer's name. And then his most heinous plan at the end is he builds a machine to block out the sun, which will force Springfield into a perpetual twilight, which means they'll have to use up a lot more electricity buying it from the power plant. And after the town meeting where he reveals this, he is shot in the parking lot and collapses. And they then, a summer passed and he had to wait for season seven to start to find out. possibly solve this mystery? Can you? Yeah, it's my job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was it's fun. fun. Like you really way, it turned into exactly what I was afraid it would turn into. <laughs> where we just do Simpsons voices at each other. Uh, uh, our favorite things that happen in episodes. But, well, fuck it. You don't yeah, like well, the, Iago episode. <laughs> yeah. We don't do any Iago impressions in that. We've somehow did a whole episode on Iago and not one Gilbert Godfrey voice. Right, right. But I think this episode was, one, it's kind of quintessential Burns at his most villainous, kind of unabashedly. And of course, the solution, Dan, if you want to reveal who did shoot Mr. Burns. Oh, it was Maggie. Right. Why yeah. did Maggie shoot him? He was trying to steal candy from a baby. Oh, okay. So it was intentional. She <laughs> deliberately shot him. Oh, they definitely, at the end of the episode, they're like, he's like, arrest that baby. They're like, yeah, right. No jury in the world would convict a baby. Well, maybe Texas. And they, they walk out and you see Maggie and they do this like close up on her. that lets you know, they're like, oh no, she's a psychopath. Um, yeah. But there was apparently a, they say there was an, alternate ending then they do show it in a subsequent like clip show where it turned out it was smithers who shot mr burns and of course the line there that was awesome at the time was of course for that ending to work you would have to ignore all the simpson dna evidence oh okay <laughs> um but I'm you know I, 
this well it was then yeah but i mean this this is i think to me like that episode is so you know again it's the simpsons firing on all cylinders doing satire it's the entire town is in the episode you know their whole cast of characters which is like whenever someone tells me like i can't follow it's funny because it's referencing dallas who shot jr and that was an event episode and then the simpsons did an event. I mean, it was two episodes and it was, it was a big event. Yeah. And I mean, and to their credit, unlike Dallas, where they revealed that who shot JR was all a dream, they actually did give you a solution here. Right. Um, right. And it was someone you wouldn't have ever suspected, even though they did actually drop clues into the episode that it would have been Maggie. They Burns collapses on a sundial pointing at the West and South, which from his point of view, upside down would have been an M and an S for Maggie Simpson. We had all summer to comb through that episode and look for those clues. So it's <laughs> yeah, I remember, and I remember doing that that summer of like really thinking about it, going, who could it be? Who shot Mr. Burns? Even though it's, you know, it's a fun, you know, he's not going to die and it's all in good fun because it's the Simpsons. And, but it was still fun to have a mystery to solve because you knew there was going to be a solution and it was going to have, it was still going to work. It wasn't going to be so comedic that it broke the show and it didn't make any sense. Well, yeah, and going back to what we talked about, about one of the things that's great about The Simpsons is it does have a cohesive reality that it more or less adheres to. It'll right. break a little bit. Like, I remember they made a joke, something about like, oh, it's a cartoon. It doesn't always have to make sense, you know, when they were watching Itchy and Scratchy and then like Homer, who's in the living room, walks by the window outside. <laughs> They've done some right. jokes like that, but it's few and far between and it's always a little bit of a wink. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, uh, you you ready to move out of the episode? Oh, I think so. I think we've spent plenty of time now uh, singing Mr. Burns's praises. So, shall we talk about the moral alignment? Sure. He's pretty chaotic, evil to me. I feel like he's sadistic. Do you you do you not think so? I don't know. I mean, I think part of the thing is you know they they play with him on so many different kinds of evil. He's got so many opportunities. The that operates almost on all of them because he's kind of whatever they want him to be. <laughs> right. I, I, I was going to say, I think he's more neutral because I think def- his more defining characteristic is his self-interest, you know, and, and his lack of concern for the day. You know, he's all, I mean, you know, they, he's constantly talking about, you know, terms of not caring about poisoning the environment. He doesn't care about breaking the rules. He doesn't care about anything. As long as it benefits him, he doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, once, in a, once in a while, he goes out of his way to cause misery deliberately because it's fun, but I, I tend to find him more on the neutral side. I think he's more cruel in his language than he is in his actions in that regard. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. definitely mean, but you're right. Like he's usually acting in his own self-interest more than he is to like hurt somebody physically. I can buy that he's more on the neutral side of that. I also just want to again cover the ground of why he endures as a character aside from just the crackerjack writing of the show. Mr. Burns is we all have somebody like that at any given point in the public consciousness who is essentially a Mr. Burns, you know, whether it's like a, a Sheldon Adelson or something like that, you know, there's always, or one of the Koch brothers or there's always a Mr. Burns and he's definitely very much established as a Republican. <laughs> he's the head of the Springfield Republican party, as I recall. Yeah. yeah or a Mitch uh, for God's sakes. I mean, like, so I think as ridiculous as he is, I think he endures because he's also a recognizable type of American. Well, and as you know, that's the thing about satire, right? Is that satire is meant to address a societal wrong or, you know, as something we confront all the time. And the capitalist greed gone horribly wrong or unchecked is something we deal with that that's going to be part of our society for the foreseeable future. And so as long as we have that, like you said, there will always be a Mr. Burns. Antifa wins and institutes Sharia law. 
Right, of course. Uh, <laughs> Marxist Sharia law. So there's always going to be someone like that. You, you know, Sheldon Adelson dies. The Koch brothers die. Someday Mark Zuckerberg is going to be old Mr. Burns, you know? Yeah, down to one Coke. That's true. Um, I do a Coke. By the way, that reminds me of one other Mr. Burns reference that pops into my head a lot for some reason. Is the one, it's the Treehouse of Horror one where they put Homer's brain in a robot body. And uh, I think uh, Smithers, you know, <laughs> suggests that they put his brain back, give him his body back. And I remember Mr. Burns going like, oh, come on, it's 1145. <laughs> <laughs> I think of that sometimes too. Yeah, I think you're, you're on with that. There, there is always a Mr. Burns in society. And because The Simpsons is very much this scalpel of comedy designed to take apart those types of villains, Mr. Burns is going to be the foil on which they do that nine times out of 10. You can't punch up more than when you're making fun of Mr. Burns. That is the ultimate punching up. I think that's why he's fun. You never really feel too bad for him except for the occasional sandbox moment. Okay, let's do the fan casting and then we can do the title fight. Uh, This is hard. Well, I don't even know how- I have my person, but- Okay, are you going with a voice or are you going with like if there was a live action Mr. Burns? I was thinking a live action Mr. Burns. Who would I I cast for that? That's fair because Harry Shearer probably wouldn't do it. So- who would your live action Mr. Burns be? I narrowed it down to two. One I think is not quite old enough, but that, that can always be solved. So one of them I thought of was Christopher Plummer. Oh, okay. Sure. I he could he can do it. He just or, brought, you know, he came in to uh, tag out Kevin Spacey to play Getty. Right. Probably also a touchstone for Mr. Burns. I, I could imagine that. And the other one I thought of was Michael McKeon, oh. which is sort of similar comedy kind of dna but like he's bald and i could see him being very much a, a you know a live action mr burns especially if you make him up to look much older than he really is sure i mean um, i kind of like him wonderful and you know he's a tremendous actor was recently on um better call saul he's fantastic on that he's a oh, little yeah. more robust you know as a as a person than mr burns is who's like literally like a skeleton so i, I you have to probably lose some weight to play the part which would be a little unnerving but yeah I could see that. I, I'm just thinking that if we're just being like dream team and we can go through space and time, I've been surprised. I think it would be a really <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, no question. He'd be great. Yeah. If we can just put it into the simulation, you know, and have it mm-hmm. happen, then I think that would be my pick. Sure. All right. So this is going to be, this could be quick, but I think, Dan, it's time for our title site. So this week it is Mr. Burns versus the Invisible Man. Now, this is not as crazy as it might sound because the Invisible Man is like a Victorian era bad guy. And, you know, Mr. Burns, depending on the episode you're watching, may have been, you know, merely middle-aged around then. So <laughs> it's not like they might not have crossed paths, you know? Sure. I was thinking middle uh, Invisible Man in his prime versus Mr. Burns. Not, I guess you're right. Going by the actual timeline, they'd be about the same age now. Or, no, or, but that's or, not what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, you would go back to the mm-hmm. late hundreds and have this go down. But okay. uh, and I, you know, I would be surprised in the entire history of The Simpsons if they didn't do some kind of Invisible Man joke with Mr. Burns. I don't know why. It feels appropriate. I can't quite put my finger on it. But. I bet if you pulled up FrankieAct.com, which, by the way, if you're a Simpsons fan, FrankieAct.com is awesome. They, like, you can punch in any like line from The Simpsons, and they will show you you know, the scene, right, tell you like, everything. While, while we're figuring this out, I will punch Invisible Man into FrankieAct. Hi! And see. <laughs> nice, Frank. You know, I'm not seeing anything that seems... Hmm. A lot of old episode 
uh, screenshot. You know? So let me kind of, uh, while you're doing that. Um, yeah. So my issue, of course, is that Burns is always portrayed as like comically frail. You know, I'm giving you the threshing of a lifetime. It's this like slap fight or like he's so flimsy that the flash of a flashbulb in one episode like knocked him over. Um, <laughs> so how do you compete against a guy who's like A, invisible and two, like, you know, strong enough to strangle you to death? And so I was trying to think, like, how do you even the odds a little bit? And what I thought of was, as we mentioned before, Burns, as established in uh, the Springfield files, has a healthy radioactive glow. Yeah. And so my thought would be that if the Invisible Man gets too close, that glow would render him visible uh, to some degree, thus giving Burns a, at least a chance. Yeah, and we so know Burns carries they, a gun they, Yeah, the dogs with bees in their mouths, so when they bark, they shoot bees at you. <laughs> right. It feels like if you were going to do a crossover, it would be in a treehouse of horror, and it would be sure. Mr. Burns as the Invisible Man, you know, using his vast wealth or something to somehow become invisible so that he can steal, steal things. Steal things, essentially. So for me, it's like a man versus self story. Yeah, hard to say who wins in that particular outcome. It would just be some joke ending. <laughs> you know, so who knows? But I like your, yeah. your idea that, he, that Burns would have an edge and be able to see the Invisible Man. He also has a lot of money. And like his money might be useful in this regard. Or, you know, he has Smithers at his side or something. But because the Invisible Man is kind of spends his story, right? He's like, he's stuck. He has no resources. That's his like dilemma. You know, he, other than his invisibility, he has no money. He has no tools, you know, science equipment. The tone of the ending of that episode where he is the invisible man would be like he's somehow on the couch with Homer and they're eating snacks and you're seeing the food go down. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they would somehow do that. It would just be like that and then it would be over. Uh, yeah. Like those things kind of end. I think the end has to go to the invisible man, right? He's got superpower, and again, Burns is so frail. <laughs> but you know, uh, Mr. Burns has narrative immunity. You know, the writers are going to always come up with a way <laughs> that he can't be, like you strangle him and his neck is so brittle, there's no bones in it, and somehow that <laughs> makes it so you can't strangle him. You know what I mean? Well, it's he has three, don't, don't forget, Dan, he has three Stooges syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're Remember all he, the door, yes. Yeah, right. He's, he has every disease known to man, but because they're in perfect balance, he's not dead. From which, of course, Mr. Burns concludes he is indestructible. Right. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, once we start getting into the reality, I mean, whose universe are we in? Are we in H.G. Wells's or are we in Matt Groening's? Mm -hmm. And so you kind of, then you have to decide. And you always kind of right. get the home field advantage to the character whose world you're in. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Mr. Burns can't die because that's always the way it is. He's too beloved. Um, mm -hmm. All right, great. So we're going to call that one. I, I wish I had a sound cue for draw. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, that's what I'm saying, although you seem to think the Invisible Man has the edge. Yeah, just based on, again, Burns' notorious frailty. So uh, before we go, we did have one review to read. Do you have that pulled up? I, I don't. You didn't tell me to do it. I'm sorry. And it's from uh, the person's iTunes handle. Almost sounds like demonic, which is kind of cool for our evil-themed podcast. Um, yeah. But while Dan's pulling that up, I'll do some quick admin stuff. So again, if you like us, drop us a review on iTunes. That's the best thing you can do to help us. And of course, tell people about the show. That's always uh, appreciated. Tweet at us at Podcast with Evil on Twitter. We've got also some really cool episodes coming up next week. We are doing uh, La Llorona, the Mexican folklore character, followed by Charles Manson with our good friend uh, Lauren Flans. We'll be La Llorona. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Lauren Flans will be dropping back with us to do Charles Manson, and we're, yeah, 
we're taking a week off. We're, we're going to start implementing like a, a bye week every once in a while just, uh, for our personal sanity and to catch up on things. And then after Charles Manson, we've decided to do Professor Moriarty. So that'll be really cool. And we're in the lab cooking up other characters to come after that. And uh, I don't know if we're ready to announce them yet, but uh, they're, yeah, I, I think you always we, want to, but then we get locked. I in. think we'll, we'll hold off for now just in case we call an audible, but I can tell you, I think we've got some real winners uh, coming down the pipe. So. And one loser. All right. Yeah. Uh, I've got a review <laughs> here. I okay. Think- it looks like they're summoning Cthulhu with this name. It's like Blagger. <laughs> yeah. Cthulhu Blagger. <laughs> Title of the review is Super Unique. A really fun listen. More often than not, we overlook a villain's intentions and motives, but this pod really explores this in an interesting way. Yeah. Thank you so much for writing that in. We really appreciate that. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Yo, Mr. Black, another brandy. Gentlemen, to evil. Clink. Clink. Good morning, starshine. The earth says hello. You twinkle above us. We twinkle below.